to be in Matthew chapter 18 this morning. Uh, we, we just had the reading by Jacob in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. We're going to look more along the lines of verses 21 and following through the end of that chapter. But before we get there, before we talk about that, uh, there was a couple, a couple who had been married for quite some time now, about 15 years. And, but, but at this time, uh, they started to have a little bit more disputes than ever. And so what they did was they agreed to take the, the, uh, the idea, the suggestion that they had from a friend to come up with a fault box. Okay, a fault box. And so what they did is if, uh, one of the, uh, if their spouse maybe did something that irritated them a little bit, they, they wrote it on a piece of paper, they slipped it into the box. And at the end of the month, they'd get together, open the box together, and talk about those things. And so at the end of the month, they do this. They sit down at dinner, they open up the box, and the husband goes first. And so he picks up the slips that his wife wrote, and the first one said, you didn't screw the, the jar on or the lid on the jelly. And then he gets the next one and says, you left a wet towel on the floor. Then he reads another one and it says, you left dirty socks next to the hamper, not in the hamper. And the list went on and on. Well, after reading the, the grumbles that she had against him, it was her turn to begin to read what her husband wrote about her. But here's the thing. Every single piece of paper that he wrote about her had the same message. I love you. See, many of us spend our lives focusing on what others have done to hurt us. But don't we love to be forgiven? Don't we all want to be forgiven? This great chapter, Matthew chapter 18, is all about forgiveness. It begins with those directions that Jacob just read to us that if a, if a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ sins against us, then, then we take these steps. Uh, we, we go to them in private and we talk to them about uh, what they have done to us. So we're trying to reconcile uh, the, the difference, the fault that happened between us. And we do that in private, not to embarrass them. But the Bible says, uh, Jesus said, that uh, if, it, if you can't resolve that, then you move on to step two. Right? You bring one or two witnesses uh, to uh, another meeting of sorts, and you, again, try to work things out. But again, if that brother or sister doesn't repent at that time, uh, Jesus says in step three, you bring it before the church. Right? Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to do this. We understand that. But Jesus promises there in verse 20 that he will be with us. During that process, where two or three have gathered together in my name, I will be there in your midst. That should be comfort for us that uh, we can uh, go through that process uh, to help reconcile our brothers and sisters uh, with Jesus there. Do all that you can to help them to see their error, to help them repent of that. And if he does, Jesus says, forgive him. Well, notice in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Peter has a question about what Jesus just taught. Verse 21, it says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. He wondered how often forgiveness should be extended to his brother or sister that sinned against him. And you notice that Peter says up to seven times. Well, why seven times? Well, in that day, in that culture, the rabbis taught... Uh, again, this isn't scripture, but this is what the rabbis taught, their man-made doctrine, that you forgive up to three times. But after that third time, you don't have, you don't have to forgive. Right? If he transgresses against you four times, you don't have to forgive. And so Peter says, well, what up, up to seven times? Uh, can I do that up to seven times? But listen to what Jesus says there in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 
Is Jesus saying there that we need to keep a log of every wrong that's committed against us up until that 490th, right? Seven times 70, 490, up to 490 times. And then uh, at that 491st time that uh, now uh, we don't have to no longer forgive. No, well, no, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. He, he's using their figurative language, that, meaning that our forgiveness should be extended as much as, as frequent as that sin is committed against us. But also notice this small thing before we move on. Uh, Peter, a man, a human, he added forgiveness, right? He said he took that number three and he added three more and then you know, added another one to make it to seven. But Jesus multiplied that number. Jesus multiplies forgiveness. He says, keep on forgiving no matter how often others sins against you and they come to you and repent of those things. He says, keep on forgiving. But to reinforce that lesson, to reinforce that lesson that he is teaching them, Jesus told a parable about a man who was forgiven a great debt, but yet he could not forgive a much smaller one. He was an unforgiving, forgiven servant. And that's sort of a tongue twister, but you'll notice here as we go through this this morning, there's going to be four different stages that this man in this parable is in when it relates to forgiveness. And we're going to notice that. And hopefully we find ourselves in one of these stages and not the other three. But let's, let's notice as we continue on this first one. We, we're, we're first going to notice in verses 23 through 25 that he was an unforgiven servant. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one was owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. I think it's sort of uh, easy for us. This is one of the more straightforward parables that Jesus gives of who the players are here. Of course, the king here represents God. Uh, the servant, the, the slaves, depending on what your translation says, that represents mankind. And this debt that's owed is representative of sin. And, and it says that the, the king wanted to settle accounts with his servants. You know, what immediately impresses us of this man that's brought to the king is the amount he owed. 10,000 talents. Well, how much is a talent? You know, a talent, don't think of it as a coin, as a unit of money, but it's more of a sum, a weight, a measurement. And it's somewhere around 75 pounds. Now, interestingly enough, we're not told uh, what type of talent this is. Was it a gold talent? Was it a silver talent? You know, bronze, copper? We, we just don't know. But it was a talent nonetheless. And that's going to, of course, reflect the, the price, the, the value of the talent. But let's just, for instance, say that this was a silver talent. Okay, and so a silver talent in that time period to equate to what we know, you know, dollars and cents would be about a conservative estimate would be about a thousand dollars. Right. So so this man owed ten thousand talents. So he's somewhere in the neighborhood of being in the debt of ten million dollars. You know, you, you try to read different commentaries on this account and you're going to get a wide range, a wide range, because, again, we don't know if it was gold or silver. Uh, we don't know a lot of different things about the talent, but you can find a wide range of estimates anywhere from three million to one hundred and fifty million. But the idea is that this man owes a lot of money and also consider, you know, we, we, we even need to consider inflation uh, from that time period till today. And so we're possibly talking billions of dollars. Right, billions of dollars this man owes the king. Again, the point is not how much he owes. 
But the point is that this, fag, this figure staggers the imagination. See, uh, in that time period, one talent could purchase a servant. In that time period, in all of Palestine, it said that the annual tax bill of all the people who lived in Palestine at that time was 800 talents. If you went and collected every amount of taxes that was owed in the land, uh, it would come up to 800 talents a year. Again, this man owed 10,000 talents, 10 times the national debt. This man owed a debt far beyond his ability to pay. How could he owe so much, we might think? You know, it should be impossible for this man to have gotten this far in debt. You know, we understand that in today's society, we have credit scores, right? Uh, the, the lower our credit score, uh, the higher the interest rate we're going to pay, the, the less amount we might be able to borrow. Uh, borrowers aren't stupid, right? Uh, they, they make sure that uh, they investigate the person that they're going to lend money to. Uh, you go to a bank and they're going to do their homework to make sure that, uh, you know, that you're going to be able to pay that debt back, that there's not going to be a risk factor there. How did this man get so far in debt? Why did Jesus use such an outrageous financial figure? Because he wants us to understand what forgiveness is like in his kingdom. He wants to impress upon us the magnitude of the debt we owe. Again, that debt represents the sin in our lives. Because of our sin, we are hopelessly in debt. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Right? We commit one sin, we deserve death. Sin is so parable that... We could never pay it back on our own. Uh, we owe him a debt that we could not possibly pay. And verse 25 again says, but since he did not have the means to pay, you know, how long would it take him to pay off this debt? Again, let's use that figure of $10 million. You know, interest alone uh, at maybe 5% means that he would even have to pay back at least $500,000 a year in interest fees. Because right? a lender is not going to just lend you $10 million without charging interest. The fact is he has no chance of ever paying this off, what he owed. And so what we get here is the perfect picture of an unforgiven sinner. Right? Romans 3.23, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And God holds him and he holds us accountable for, his, for that sin. That sin is so terrible that it creates a debt that he can't pay. He's hopelessly lost. He cannot do enough for God to make up for the sins that he has committed. But finally, God calls him to account for his sin, and he's about to punish him for that sin, we see. And what is that punishment? Again, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. That's not a physical death. That's not a physical death from this life, but that is a, that's a spiritual death. That is separation from God in eternity. But here's the important point, is that this man's story does not end here. Because we see he moves into another state as we look at verses 26 and 27. Jesus continues. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Again, the servant says, have patience with me. I'll, I'll pay everything. It's hard to see how he could possibly think that he was going to pay that back. And maybe that's why he throws himself at the mercy of his master. You know, that's our only choice, too, here this morning. We cannot have the, the attitude that, you know, God is lucky to have us or that we're be able going to, you know, pay our, our way uh, back by doing good works to God. But the only way that we can be saved uh, is just like this servant, by throwing ourselves upon the mercy of our merciful God. 
There's a song in our songbooks that I don't know if we've ever led it, but it's called Rock of Ages. And one of the, the lines goes, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Or you remember the publican, uh, the publican who was praying to God in Luke chapter 18. He said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, right? throwing himself uh, before God and asking for mercy. Now, of course, you must, of course, uh, come to Christ in the way that God has given in Scripture, right? He wants us to hear His Word and to believe it, uh, repent of those things in our lives that are contrary to His Word, and confess Him and, and to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. But by doing those things, we're not striking a bargain with God. We're pleading with Him humbly and entreating God for, the, for that mercy that He can only give. The Lord of that slave, verse 27, felt compassion and released him, and he forgave him of that debt. And that is great news. The king freely forgave a debt that that servant could not possibly pay. And again, applied to us, that's what we refer to as grace. God forgave us far beyond what we deserve. He bestows upon us a favor which we have not earned. A good acronym to remember what grace means. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. He canceled a debt that we never paid, that we could never pay, and that we could have no hope of ever paying. The servant, we notice he never paid a cent to, back to the king, yet the king forgave him. Remember the psalmist in Psalm 103 verse 2 said, or excuse me, verse 12 said, As far as east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. And also uh, in Titus chapter 3, notice uh, beginning in verse 5, the Bible says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, the, the payment that he accepts is the blood of Jesus Christ. That payment uh, is that propitiation. It covers the sins that we have committed. That's how we pay for that, is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That sounds wonderful, right? Uh, That's where we'd like this story to end, this uh, parable to end right here. But unfortunately, the story does not end here. Let's notice the next few verses, verses 28 through 31. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. We notice now that this uh, forgiven servant is unforgiving. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves. You know, there, there's a show that maybe you're familiar with, um, Different Strokes, and you remember Arnold uh, would always have that catchphrase, you know, what you talking about, Willis? You know, I think that's kind of what we're thinking when we read the, this, uh, this story at this point. It's like, are you kidding me? You have just been forgiven this great debt, and now you're going out and you're finding another a person that owes you a hundred denarii and you're choking him and you're dragging him into prison because he owes you, this man was forgiven. He should have been forgiving of others. 
You know, what if someone came to you and said, listen, I'm going to pay off your mortgage. I'm going to pay off your car loans. I'm going to pay off your student loans, all of these things for life and all of your family members and all of the next 10 generations of, of your uh, lineage. How great would that be? But again, that compares nothing to what this master did for this man. Or, or think of, have you ever uh, you know, paid it forward to someone? You know, you get in line at, the, at a fast food restaurant and you, when you drive up there, you notice that someone has paid for your meal. Well, how do we react to that? A lot of times we're going to be like, well, you know, I'm going to do it for the next person. Right? I, it's contagious. You see people opening the doors for people. And so when it's your turn to get to the door, you know, you hold the door open for others. It, it's a contagious feeling. That should be that man's uh, feeling right now uh, that he has just been forgiven of such a great debt but yet he can't forgive this man. But immediately we notice he pounced upon that man who owed him something. Right? We're not talking 10,000 talents. But he grabbed him by the neck, started choking him. Pay me what you owe. Fact is, he only owed 100 denarii. 100 denarii. Remember, a denarii, one denarii is basically a daily wage. You, know, you work in the fields uh, and you come to your... Uh, your uh, employer, and you get one denarii, one coin. And so this man owed about 100 denarii, 100 days of wages, about four months worth of wages. Uh, again, putting that into today's economic terms, this is maybe you know, 20 bucks. You know, that's nothing to sneeze at. Right? I'd love to have a $20 bill in my pocket right now. But it is a debt. The, the point is, this is a debt that can be paid back. The contrast between those two, you know, 10 million and 20 bucks, it's staggering. It's staggering. And so what do we learn from that? However, the great of a sin against you and I that others have committed compares nothing to the sin that we have committed against God. It's infinitely greater. Should you not be willing and freely ready to forgive the wrongs others have done to you? Because, right? again, if we think of paying it forward, God has just paid it forward for your next 10,000 meals and beyond. Yet God says you, can, you can't even pay one person uh, uh, for his meal that, that's next in line. And so his fellow slave fell down and began to plead with him. He was unwilling to forgive, and he went and threw him into prison. The servant of this story was forgiven, but again, he was unforgiving of others. He found himself in the place of the king. Right? Now he has some power. He has some leverage. But he learned nothing from the king's example. When he had fallen down before the king, the king forgave him. When his fellow servant fell down before him, he refused to forgive. Brethren, can we be like that as well? Although we have been forgiven, maybe there are some times that we refuse to give others. You know, maybe somebody snubbed us. And so, you know, we're waiting for that next opportunity uh, that we see them to maybe snub them back. Or what about in the church? Sadly, it happens in the church as well. Sometimes we'll bring up things that happened 40 years in the past. But again, we have been forgiven so much, but we refuse even though the sins against us are so small in comparison. And again, verse 31 says that fellow slaves, the fellow slaves saw what had happened and they were deeply grieved. You know, it's right. And it's okay to be distressed uh, when, when Christians fail to forgive. But again, the main point that we see here is the king found out. And of course, our king, God, knows when we fail to forgive. And so that brings us to this last stage. This brings us to the final stage. And that he, 
this servant became an unforgivable servant. Look with me in verses 32 through 35. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. As long as that man, that servant refused to forgive, he could not be forgiven. You wicked slave, I forgave you all of that debt. You know, it was only reasonable for the man who was forgiven, again, to, that he should be able to offer the same type of forgiveness to others. And it's also only reasonable that we, who have been freely forgiven by God, should offer the same kind of forgiveness of others. You remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32? He said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. But we might object You know, uh, he's not good enough for me to forgive him. But how good were you when God forgave you? But again, we might object. He's done too many terrible things to me uh, to forgive him. But again, how many terrible things have we done against God? And yet he forgave us. They were the equivalent of a debt of 10,000 talents, an insurmountable amount. Jesus Jesus was scourged, he was spat upon, mocked, hit, crucified, yet he is still willing to forgive us this day. Verse 34, and his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers. You know, what are the consequences of being unforgiving? Well, he tells us a couple there. First, when we fail to forgive, that makes God angry. It's a terrible thing to make God angry, a righteous anger. Right, that God has. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says, it's a terrifying thing that we fall into the hands of the living God. But secondly, we will be subject to the same punishment God prescribed for our sins originally. You know, the king took back the forgiveness that he had given. And again, we, we read that he threw the servant into prison until he pays off all that debt. Well, again, how long is that going to be? That's going to be forever. There's no way he's going to be able to pay off that debt, especially now that he's in prison. He would never be able to pay it, and so too with us. When we fail to forgive, we are subject to that same penalty, eternal punishment. You know, some of us would rather hang on to, again, bitterness and something that happened 40 years ago, 40 years ago, than, as Jesus said, and be handed over to the torturers than to forgive them from your heart. In verse 35, so shall my heavenly father also do to you. Let me read verse 35 one more time because I think it's just, it's one of those verses that hopefully will stick with you. Because again, he, he finishes this parable, this lesson by saying, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. You know, talk about a motivational verse. That should be a life-changing verse. That should make us think that if I have anything uh, against my brother or, or sister or they have anything against me, that we need to work things out. Because I don't want to be handed over to the torturers one day. God's forgiveness of us is dependent on our forgiveness of others. And our forgiveness must be from the heart. Again, It's not lip forgiveness, but it's heart forgiveness. It, it's a change of mind. It's, it's a godly sorrow. And if we refuse to forgive... 
God says we will not be forgiven. But we've spoken this morning of four stages of this story of the servant. Again, first, that he was unforgiven, but by the mercy of, of his master, he went and was forgiven. But as a forgiven servant, he, he went too far and became unforgiving to those around him. And because of that, Jesus says, he's unforgivable. I suspect that everyone could, put, uh, could be put into one of these categories this morning. How would you be classified? Think about that this morning. How would you be classified? For those who have obeyed the gospel, you went from unforgiven to forgiven. But are you unforgiving of others who have who pled for you, who have begged for forgiveness? And if that's the case, Jesus says you've become unforgivable. Friends, don't leave here this morning in that condition. Right? Uh, that, that debt that your brother or sister may owe you doesn't compare, doesn't even come close to the debt that God has wiped away uh, from your account here this morning. And so this morning, as we are about to offer the invitation, if anyone here this morning uh, needs to ask the congregation for forgiveness, maybe you, uh, you're here this morning and, and, and there's someone that maybe you need to reconcile with. Uh, maybe you need to ask the church for forgiveness. So whatever it may be, uh, there's no better time to do this right now. Uh, take care of it now with your brothers and sisters. Or, or maybe this morning you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us to obey the gospel, that we must hear the word of God, believe Jesus is the son of God, repent of our sins. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. We must confess Jesus before men, and also we must be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to his church. Your sins will be washed away, and you will begin a, a new life, a new creature, a new creation in Christ. And we pray that we can help anyone here this morning who has questions or maybe wants to start that new life here this morning. But again, please let us know as together we stand and sing.